Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you to the program again this week, and uh, I've got a very special guest on with me to, uh, this week that I've wanted you to meet for some time. Uh, I have been reading his book. He has a book out, and he has, actually he's the author of 12 books. But he has one out that I've been reading called Understanding the Whole Bible, and you'll be able to see some information on the screen about this book. But he is Dr. Jonathan Weldon, and he is the president and founder of the Weldon Academy. Uh, he's the author of 12 books. He resides in upstate New York, and uh, uh, he's a traveling ministry just like I am. And uh, in the last couple of years, we've done a couple conferences together. It's been a blast, and I've just uh, so appreciated uh, not only the depth of his understanding, this I think is a really phenomenal piece of work for any student of the Bible, you need to get one of these. Uh, but uh, he is, uh, you know, his attitude, his spirit is just so uh, tender that I've just enjoyed being around him. But uh, uh, you'd be blessed to be able to get a hold of his material. He's the author of, of 11 other books, and uh, you can go to his website and you will see some of those books. Uh, but in this book, he was talking about the covenants. And uh, a lot of the themes that we use about the kingdom of God, that you've been a longtime watcher with our program, uh, a lot of the themes that we do talking about the kingdom of God uh, is just the same general theme, a lot of similarities in our ministry. And I want to have him on today. It's good to have you, Dr. Weldon, on the program today. Thank you, Lynn. And uh, we're going we're gonna to start talking about... Uh, uh, some of the things that he that he wrote in this book. It's uh, some of the things he's written. Uh, I didn't have terminology for. I do know and have known for some times that everything that's in the Old Testament is not necessarily a Mosaic covenant. And when we read the uh, uh, the Bible, we need to understand it through the lens of the covenants. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, if you followed our ministry any length of time, you remember that. Uh, one of the things that we've been saying very strongly is that uh, most of the places, if not all of them, in the scripture where it talks about the last days is really not talking about the last days of a global situation. It was talking about the last days of an old covenant. When you get that peace, everything seems to dovetail together. And so he shared some things in a conference about these covenants and what they're called. And uh, I'm just going to welcome him to the program and then let him just begin to share some things. We're going to have a conversation and let you listen in. And like I said, there'll be information on the screen to where you can contact him or get his books, products, and stuff like that. So it's good to have you, Dr. Weldon. Just jump in there somewhere and talk a little bit about uh, some things that are on your heart about these covenants. Thanks so much, Lynn. It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, as you said, we've just had such a good time together, the different places we've been on the road. And... Um, just hearing such similar uh, messages is, is incredible. Um, I feel honored. It's like uh, two generations coming together to talk about such similar concepts. Um, for me, the whole covenant thing really started in the eschatology realm, which I know is a big area that we, we hold a very optimistic view of. Uh, the future and the kingdom advancing and growing in the earth and that a lot of the bad stuff that people are concerned about is actually behind us, mm -hmm. which is really good news. I think it's good news. Yeah. <laughs> so I started in that area and then uh, I was working on my doctorate and in the process I really felt like I was, I was to spend a lot of time studying covenant. Um, now as a Protestant, 
uh, we kind of have two major views on covenant. There's covenant theology and there's dispensational theology. And especially as, as like Holy Spirit charismatic type of believers, um, I know for myself, it was a real mix of these two. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'd be covenant thinking, covenant theology, and sometimes I'd be dispensational. And I'll, we'll get into maybe explaining that in a few minutes. Um, but the more I studied, the more I realized uh, we have been really confused, especially the modern Christian, about how to read the Old Testament. Um, one of the main things that people do is they think Old Testament, they think Old Covenant. Those two are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that was a big revelation. Yeah. A lot of people think that the Old uh, Covenant started in Genesis 1-1. Mm -hmm. But actually, the Old Testament starts in Genesis 1-1. The Old Covenant doesn't show up until Exodus chapter 20 mm -hmm. at Mount Sinai. Now, that's, that's a big shift in thinking if, yes. if our viewers can think about that for a minute. Uh, the Old Covenant is something that shows up 2,800 years. Now, that's a long time, 2,800 years yes. after Genesis 1-1. And then from Exodus 20 until Jesus, we have about 1,400 years, so about half as much of the time. The reason that's important is because there's passages in the New Testament where Paul talks about, we got to get the Old Covenant out of here. Mm -hmm. Like Galatians chapter 4, he talks about the Old Covenant. Mm -hmm. He calls her Hagar, mm -hmm. the slave woman, the mother of Ishmael, and that we need to kick her out and get rid of her. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think that the Old Covenant is the Old Testament, then Paul just told you to throw out the Old Testament. That causes a real problem, mm -hmm. especially a Bible-believing uh, Christians. Um, Paul's not saying to throw out the Old Testament. He's saying throw out the Old Covenant. Mm -hmm. So we have to know the difference. <clears throat> There's three main places in the New Testament where the Old Covenant is mentioned. Um, it's not a lot of places, but it's essentially Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4 and in Galatians chapter 4. Those three passages are really the, the core that teach us that the Old Covenant is the laws that were written on stone. Mm -hmm. That's Mount Sinai. That's yeah. Exodus chapter 20. So once we realize that, the Old Testament is Genesis to Malachi, but the Old Covenant is from Mount Sinai until Jesus. Mm -hmm. So those very different things really start to affect our thinking of what do we actually need to remove. When he says, kick out the slave woman, get her out of your life, mm -hmm. We're not throwing out the Old Testament, but we are throwing out the Old Covenant. Mm -hmm. So that was probably one of the biggest revelations uh, in my process of study. And of course, it goes back to our eschatology as well, because the shift uh, of, of the Old Covenant being removed is really what a lot of eschatology is about. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think a lot of times, uh, probably many of our viewers, because uh, there's probably not a lot of people saying some of the things we're saying, but uh, th they're not thinking in terms when they read these uh, last day scriptures as being covenantal mm. rather than, you know, global or, co uh, or, 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 or having to do with, you know, the collapse of our universe. Yes. It had to do with the passing, you know, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes mm. in. And I'm sure believers have read some of those. But they still, you know, as, uh, you know, one of the things I've seen is people want to pick and choose the parts of the law that fit our culture 
and they want to call that the gospel. And it's mm-hmm. really not the gospel. The old covenant was really, you know, it was, uh, like you said in, in Galatians 4, Hagar yeah. Yeah. is the slave woman. Under yeah. the old covenant were servants and slaves. Mm. If we're under the old covenant. Absolutely. And they were under the old covenant. Yes. But in the new yes. covenant were sons. Yes. And there's a big shift that takes place there. You know? Yeah. Well, we could talk about the new covenant too because uh, the same concept of not all of the Old Testament is Old Covenant right. is true on the other side. That's a good point. Not all of the New Testament is New Covenant. Yep. And uh, most people think that the New Covenant started in Matthew 1.1, but covenants require a, a shedding of blood. Mm-hmm. So we don't actually have a New Covenant until the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see in Galatians 4.4, 4, it says uh, that Jesus was a man born under the law. Mm-hmm. So he's born and lives. Uh, the law was a, a synonymous with the old covenant. So that concept, he's living under it until he establishes the new covenant. It's, it's fascinating when you ask the question, when did the new covenant start? There's so many answers that people give. I've heard some people say uh, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration and Elijah and Moses show up and then... Peter wants to build a tabernacle for uh, all three of them. And, uh, and then the other two disappear, and the father says, this is my son, listen to him. Mm-hmm. People say, that's when the new covenant started. The, old, the law and the prophet were removed. Uh, there are some who say when John the Baptist got beheaded, the old covenant was removed. So there's a lot of theories that float around. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've really found is that to establish a new covenant, you have to have bloodshed. The first time we hear the New Covenant even mentioned is at the Passover, uh, at the the Last Supper. So Jesus has been born. He's lived uh, 30 years, started his ministry, ministered for three and a half years. And then for the very first time, he mentions the day before he dies that uh, there is a New Covenant Mm -hmm. and that his bloodshed will establish that New Covenant. All, all of his preaching ministry, he never talks about the new covenant. He talks about the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So uh, he starts the new covenant at the cross, but the New Testament starts in Matthew 1.1. So we have almost the same thing. Uh, the Old Testament is not all Old Covenant. The New Testament is not all New Covenant mm-hmm. either. So there's, there's some lines that have to shift. I mentioned earlier the, the two main concepts as Protestants dispensational theology and covenant theology. Now, I heard a preacher one time, he picked up his Bible, he said, what's the most important page in the Bible? And, uh, you know, everybody's think, thinking over this brilliant question, and he, he pulls out the blank piece of paper, and he says, the blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the most important page in the Bible. Now, it's memorable, it's funny, it's a little bit clever, Um, But what you're hearing when you hear that is dispensational theology. People who break it into Old Testament, New Testament, they break it into law versus grace. Uh, And yet in the old, there's some grace there. And in the new, there's some law there. So it doesn't fit perfectly well. Um, So you can't divide just between Malachi and Matthew Mm -hmm. and and end up with anything that's sensible because there's more mixture than people realize. You you know, I like to jump in here just for a second, but I like to, when people say something like that to me, I like to say to them, well, do you think Jesus today, if he healed a man, I believe it was a leopard, would tell him to go offer a turtle dove and show himself to the priest? That's because they were still walking out the requirements of law. And some of the things even Jesus taught 
in his dialogues. Yeah. We're teaching the law and introducing the kingdom. Yes. And fulfilling, you know, fulfilling one end of it and introducing the rest of it, you know, the new covenant. You know? Most people are looking for one simple line to draw between old and new covenant. Mm -hmm. And the more you study, the more you realize there is not one simple line. But as the, if you think of it more like a, a, a setting sun or a sunrise, it's a progression. It's mm -hmm. a transition. So the cross established the new covenant but the old covenant was still dying off. Yes. And that's what a lot of the eschatology is. Yes. I think one of the most stunning verses in the New Testament that I rarely hear people teach on is uh, Hebrews 8:13 where it talks about that the old covenant that that the old covenant is soon to pass away. Mm -hmm. Most of us we think of the cross, we think that was the end of the old, the beginning of the new. And that that clean transition is not actually yeah. there. We see the new established. We see the old is made obsolete and outdated, but Hebrews 8.13 says, and soon to mm -hmm. fade away. And that's about 63 AD that that's written. So mm -hmm. that's pretty far after the cross. Mm -hmm. The old covenant was still lingering to its death at that point. And I think you could kind of see the dilemma even in the Acts 15 council where they're trying to deal with how do we deal with these gentiles? Yes. Are we still dealing with circumcision? I mean, there was the there was this you know transition that was going on yeah. while the probably the new covenant was fully uh, inaugurated or consummated in the death of Jesus. Yeah. There was still two two overlapping. Yeah. You know, I just was thinking about where Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he said, uh, "We are the people upon whom the end of the ages have come." That's, That's right. a plural, yes. ages. And, uh, you know, he wasn't talking to us. He was talking to the Corinthian church at the end. Now King James calls it the end of the world, which is one of the world words that get us messed up because we think King James translates the word world, we think, in global. Yeah. But that word in a lot of places does not mean global, you know, like the world as the globe, but as an age. Yeah. And he said, we are the people upon whom the end of the ends of the ages have come. So we've got the back end. Yeah of the Old Covenant and the front end of the New Covenant and the ends of the ages are overlapping. And between these two ends of the ages, if you could draw it like a circle, you know, there's a 40-year transition period. Mm. Very similar to yes. the 40-year wilderness journey. That's right. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was uh, that I, I did a, a series back some time ago called The Tabernacle of David. But one of the things mm. that when they're in that Jerusalem Council talking about this stuff is going on, you know, they stood up and said, well, to this, uh, agree the words of the prophets. We're going to go back here and see what the mm. Scripture says about what's going on here. Yeah. And he said, I will turn again, I will return again and build the tabernacle of David. Well, David's kingdom was a 40-year, David reigned 40 years. That's a powerful thought to me. Mm. And so while David was king, there was, there was a whole set of worship going on up at the tabernacle of David while down on uh, the mountain where the, 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 the old tabernacle was at, they're still baking bread, lighting candles, but there's no ark behind door number three. So it's really a picture. Levitical yeah. priesthood's still going on, right. but they're all they're yeah. all you know. But if so, what to me that's a powerful picture, even of David in the transitional kingdom mm. that was from you know the, from the 30 A.D. basically yeah. you know in Jesus introducing the kingdom to 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed is this powerful transition period. Mm. Same exact patterns are there. Uh, I'll probably take it too long here because I, I want you to do a lot of the talking, but the 40-year transition where he says in, in 1 Corinthians, I believe it is 10, is there a 2 Corinthians 10? It's one of those. These things happen for, uh, for examples. 
yeah. for us upon whom the end of the age has come. Yeah. So he was talking to the Corinthian church who had come to the end of the age, and he's saying that everything that happened to Moses was a picture and a type and shadow yeah. of the 40-year transition. In other words, they were coming out of a physical bondage of Egypt and slavery mm. and servitude. But in the New Testament, the Corinthian church was coming out of a bondage of slavery to the law and legalism. They were mm. coming out of that, that, that same covenant you talked about from Galatians 4, from Hagar, the slave woman. Yeah. So he was trying to get them to lose that 40 years as a, as a powerful piece, I think, in the whole eschatological scheme because it's showing you why you seem to have a lap over of both. Mm. And I don't want to do all the talking, but I just want well to said. jump well back said. in there. and uh, <clears throat> I think that powerfully fits because, yeah. you know, it, like you yeah. said, one was fading away. Yes. And Corinthians 3 yes. talks about, you know, uh, that the old covenant was fading away, just like the glory that was on Moses' face. Yeah. It was fading away. And so that glory was fading, but a new one was coming on the scene. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man, it gets me stirred up when <laughs> I talk about this. I love this stuff. It really changes your Bible. Yeah. And, and most people, we need a new understanding because the framework we've been looking at it through, if it's a dispensational teaching that you've sat under, you think of the Bible as, well, 75% of it, the Old Testament, is law. And I'm not under law, I'm under grace, so that doesn't apply to me. Even though Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, these things were written as examples. So we still need the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. It's really rich for us. Um, and then we read the New Testament, we think this is all grace, it's all new, all new covenant, and then we end up reading things like Ananias and Sapphira and King Herod being eaten up by worms and the whole book of Revelation filled with bowls of wrath mm -hmm. and all that. And we, we go, wait, I thought this was grace, I'm confused, where does this fit? And uh, we got some weirdness in our grace. So the, the dispensational one, you end up with some real challenges in our thinking uh, because it doesn't neatly divide like we'd like it to. Mm -hmm. And then the covenant theology, the other side I, I mentioned, um, doesn't draw a strong line between the old and new, but says what Jesus did is removed. We don't have to kill animals anymore. We don't have to have blood sacrifices. Uh, we're forgiven. We're cleansed. Those are good things. Mm -hmm. um, but no more circumcision. That's a good thing. Hey, amen. So, <laughs> so there's things that, that it sets aside, but it leaves the door open to a lot more of pulling from the old and trying to apply it uh, into our lives. Mm -hmm. and, and so you can end up with a lot of legalism. I, I haven't heard of it yet, but I, I think we're getting close to some churches actually bringing animal sacrifice back. because. Yep. We just can't seem to leave the old in the old, and uh, they don't maybe know. Well, I think what, some dispensational theology ends with a uh, with animal sacrifice in some places. That's right. We go back to it, yeah. uh, according to some. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and the challenge with that is if Paul says to throw out that old yes. woman, she will not share in the inheritance with the promised son, which is Sarah, the New Jerusalem, the New Covenant, and Isaac, and they're not going to share in the inheritance. How do you mix them together again? Yeah, yeah. So, so we got that problem. Uh, so here's what, what happens. You have two main systems as a Protestant, and you either have to mix them and cause even more confusion or have some problems inside either system. So here's what I did. In working on this book and working on my doctorate, I read every major work on covenant. There's about 60 major works, and the goal was 
God, there has to be something else. You have to show me. There has to be something because we're missing a piece here and it's ending up with big holes. So I went back. Uh, my, my approach to this was let's go back to what do the covenants actually look like in Scripture? Because originally this wasn't divided just into Old Testament and New Testament. It was progressively written over 1,400 years. So uh, what I've come to find is that the Bible is really made up of five major covenants. So we have the Noah covenant, the Abraham covenant, the Moses covenant, the David covenant, and the new covenant, or we could say the Jesus covenant. Mm -hmm. So those five major covenants are really uh, the spine that makes up the skeleton of Scripture. If we could get those in place, rather than just trying to divide it Old Testament, New Testament, we could actually divide it into those periods. It makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. So you have Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and the new covenant. If we get those five in place, and start to understand them more in depth, it really gives you a Bible that makes sense. It changes everything. Yep. So that's been a big part of what, what I cover in the book and uh, a big part of our school that, that we do online is getting into the historical background and how these covenants were understood. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping we'll maybe get into that in a future episode as well, but... Uh, but it's a big part of the shift because if we understand the last days or the end of the age, mm -hmm. it's actually the end of one of these covenants. It's actually one of the covenants actually bringing itself to its end while one of the new covenants, the new covenant, is being established. So that's what I've, I've found the importance behind all this covenant talk is that you actually end up reading the Bible in a completely different way. And, you know, it helps to understand, I think, uh, when you do that, you know, how to relate to people say, well, you know, he's God, he changes not. And he doesn't change, but he is a God who relates to people based on the covenant he has with them. Yeah. You know, uh, at least from my viewpoint, you know, uh, he dealt with Abraham completely different mm, than he did good. with anybody. He dealt with the children of Israel. Yeah. completely different under the Abrahamic covenant up until Mount Sinai. Mm. And to me, that helps me understand even some things about uh, the wrath of God prior to, you know, the, the inauguration or the consummation, I guess we could say, of the new covenant. Yeah. And even like you said, how does that fit, you know, to me, people are going to have to come to grips with some of this because they're not going to be able to answer the wrath questions in the New Testament unless they can see it through the lens of covenant because we're trying to slant a lot of stuff, you know, about God based on theories that don't see it through the lens of covenant. Mm. So God, you know, I see that the things, that you, and I think you see it very similar. I'm not putting words in your mouth, so it's okay <laughs> if you disagree. But, you know, a lot of the stuff that's happening in the book of Revelation is yeah. God keeping his end of the covenant bargain of the mm. old covenant yeah. and really had given them every opportunity to repent and mm. to come out of that and receive the new covenant. But it was written to primarily a Jewish audience because that's who the covenant yes. was given to. Yes. Yes, it's, it's surprising. We seem to miss these big pieces where uh, the Jewish people are, are putting uh, Jesus on trial in, and, uh, in the Gospels. And, and uh, in that story, we see 
them say, let his blood be on our heads and on the heads of our children. Mm -hmm. Whoa, scary moment right there. And that sets them up for what actually takes place where they're calling covenant curses on their own heads, not not as a people, not as a race, not as a bloodline, but as a first century group of individuals mm-hmm. calling it on themselves. Yep. And it's exactly what we see happen under uh, the Roman general Titus coming and attacking Jerusalem and killing 1.1 million Jewish people. And uh, even, even Titus, when they bust through the wall in Jerusalem, uh, he, he stops and he begins to cry and he says, this must be the judgment of the hand of God on these people Mm -hmm. Uh, because there had already been a plague that had ripped through the city and the amount of death and everything else that took place. But he was overwhelmed and he actually, I believe he spoke prophetically there, um, even as a non-believer that, yeah, there's something of judgment that they had called on themselves in in the gospel message. Yeah. You know, it's amazing to me that, you know, in the, even uh, the narrative of Deuteronomy, where all the curses come. They'd read the curses and they would say, as soon as they'd read a curse, they'd say, and the people would say, amen. And they would say, cursed you be if you move this line, and the people said, amen. Cursed will you be if you do this, and the people said, amen. Yeah. It's amazing to me that you get down through all of those curses and the people said, amen, to every one of them. And the next part of that is he starts reading the blessings and the people never say an amen to it. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but in the New Testament, especially the book of Revelations, Jesus comes on the scene to one of the churches and he says, I'm the amen. But I'm also the beginning of the creation of God. So I think what he was literally saying to that church is, I'm the, I'm the end of, if you can receive this and receive your sacrifice and receive your Savior, I'm the end of the law and even the curses if you'll receive it. But if not, and I'm the beginning of the brand new creation. So Jesus is the beginning of the brand new creation. But I like how the book of Revelation ends with, by saying, I believe this is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And somebody finally says, Amen. And so in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. So right. I, I think it's time to start saying amen to some yeah. blessings and to yeah. the new covenant and realize that we're on a much better covenant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, based on better promises with better blood and everything about it is better. And, you know, there's so much to say about this, we can't get it all in one segment. But just, uh, you know, because we say that we're free from the law of the Mosaic system does not mean we're without a government at all. We, the mm. new government is mm. the kingdom of God. It's the mm. indwelling Holy Spirit that works in us. And I've said it like this, if the Holy Spirit living inside of you can't make you behave, all the rules on rocks you got aren't going to get the job done. And so, you know, uh, to me, it's just such a better covenant, and uh, it's based on better promises, and, and uh, it, it helps us to understand, like, why you see certain things happening. I hope you're kind of getting this if you're watching us, and I want you to tune in every week for the next couple of weeks. We're going to continue this conversation uh, about the difference of covenants. And I think you're going to be greatly blessed. It's going to help you put some pieces together. But we appreciate you watching. If you want to get behind what we're doing, just call the number on the screen, sow a seed into the ministry. Uh, It is your partnership that helps us take the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of His grace around the world. Without you, it's impossible. And so there is a way you can do that by going to our website. And there is a link there where you can give or you can call that number on the screen. Somebody is uh, standing by to take your call and uh, go to his website, get his material, read his books. I think you'll be blessed by understanding the whole Bible. And he will be on with me again next week. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in this week again. God bless. The word repentance means to change your mind. 
The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.